How many of y'all know that God is so good? If you know he's good, say hallelujah. You can keep playing. I want to invite you to Blueprint Church. My name is Lucius Rise of the Fourth. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I've been at Blueprint Church about 11 to 12 years. I want to welcome you family, friends, and guests to Blueprint Church as an organization, as an institution, as a family of God, as an ecclesia, amen, a church. But I also most importantly want to invite you into the house of God. This is God's house, meaning his presence is here. His presence, he didn't go to the store and he's coming back. He's here now. And his son, his son died on the cross for your sins. So that when you come here this morning, you don't have to leave the same. You don't have to leave lonely. You don't have to leave fatherless. You don't have to leave broken. You don't have to leave hurting. You don't have to leave in a place of loneliness or anymore. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. You don't have to hide because of your struggles. We all got them. Here in God's house, there's grace. There's mercy. And there's love. And this morning, I ask God, what, with this text, what do you want to be said? I ask it all the time. And all I heard was grace is greater than X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z means whatever and whomever you are, whatever you've done and whomever you are. Grace is greater than your X, Y, and Z. And he's calling you this morning, this time. Whether you're a believer or not, whatever you want to call it, a saint or a sinner, we all fall short. You are invited this morning into the presence of God. Despite who I am, despite who they are and who are around you, God is here. And he wants you to come just as you are because his grace is greater than your X, Y, and Z. I don't care what you've done yesterday. He says, my grace is greater. I don't care who you are today, this morning. He says, my grace is greater. And as we look into his word this morning, I just, I don't have points for y'all. I just want to lift up Jesus in the text, God in the text, us in the text, and show you what God is calling you to. So if you could turn with me to, to Luke chapter 15. Grace is greater than your X, Y, and Z. As you go to Luke chapter 15, and we'll be in the whole chapter. Don't be worried. I'm not going to, it's not going to take long. You know, when you see a whole chapter, like, geez, we're going to do the whole chapter. You're going to do point by point, verse by verse. No. Like I said, I'm here to exalt Yahweh so you may be drawn to him. Because he said, this is what the scriptures are about. He said, you seek scriptures because you think the scriptures give you eternal life. But he said, but the scriptures point to who? me. Jesus is eternal life. So he beckons all to come who are heavy laden and weary and he'll give you rest. If you need rest this morning, he's telling you to come. He'll give you that rest. If you're looking for validation as a man or a woman, he said, come, I will validate you. If you're looking for, 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 for it to be, a, to be alone, to, to belong to something, he say, come. I got a church. I got an ecclesia. I got a family for you. He says this in Luke chapter 15, verses 1. He says, 
all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus. Tax collectors, they put tax collectors with sinners because they look at them as the same, that they're both shady, they're both, they both morally fall short. They're, they're both like opposite of what God called us to be because tax collectors was known to raise up the funds. So like if you owe $500, they'll say, oh, you owe a thousand so then they can take the, the extra 500 and pocket it. So tax collectors, all the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. The Pharisees and scribes would be your moral people, be your people of God in the text. It would be us, the church folks. So as the sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus, the church folks were complaining. My God. And they says this. This man welcomes or receives or looks and waits for or accepts sinners. And he eats with them. Or he socializes with them, or he, he sits with them, or he accompanies them, or he, he gets personal with them, or he engages with them personally. And he associates himself with them. So he told them a parable, what man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine to op- in the open field to go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found that lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and coming home, he calls all his friends, his neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. He said, I'll tell you the same way. There would be more joy, overwhelming joy in heaven, even if it's not on earth, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't repent. Then he keeps going and what woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one coin does not light up a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds that one coin and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together saying rejoice with me because I found my silver coin that I've lost I tell you again in the same way there is joy in the presence of Yahweh's angels over one sinner who repents I guess that wasn't enough he continued to talk Jesus said, and then there was a man with two sons. The younger of them said to his father, the younger said, said, Father, he said, give me to share my estate. I have come unto me. So he distributed his estate, his assets to him. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he was given by his father and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a, a severe famine struck the country that he had moved to and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to eat with the pigs and what they were eating. But no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hard workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. Even the very workers in my father's house have more than I have. And I'm out here, not of my father's house, but of somebody else's house hungry. He said, I get up and go to my father and say to him, repentance, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but wow, but wow, but while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran. The father ran. The father pursued and he threw his arms around the neck of his son and he kissed him and he said 
to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe. So as the son was saying, I'm not worthy, he just, uh, hey, bring out the best robe. Bring out the best robe. Meaning, the robe is a sign of honor. He said, and put it on him. He said, and put a ring, also mean wealth and authority, on his finger. And give him sandals, which is a sign of sonship on his feet. Because those who were slaves and those who were workers didn't wear, they didn't wear, they didn't wear uh, shoes. But, they, but those who were of the household would wear sandals. Then bring, he said, then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was once dead or separated from his father or separated from the house all by himself alone and he's now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Now his oldest son who was in the field who never left, he came near the house and heard the music and the dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and questioned like, yo, 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 yo. So what's going on? He said, your brother's come back. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then the oldest son, who never left, who would look more righteous than the younger son, became angry and didn't want to go into the feast, which is very disrespectful to his father, very disrespectful to the household. So he didn't go in, but what happened? But then the father get this the father came out and pleaded with him but he replied to his father look I have been slaving for you for many years and I've never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me goat so that I can celebrate with my friends but when this son this son he didn't even call him brother he said when this son of yours came who has devoured all your assets with prostitutes who act unrighteous all the time who's very immoral who don't go to church every Sunday, who don't show up to every Bible study. But when he shows up, when he comes back, you celebrate. And you slaughter the best calf, the, the fattened calf, you slaughter the best meat, you throw the best meat on the grill for him, and you celebrate for him. And his father had every right to keep the same tone, or like the young folks say, keep the same energy as his son had. But not the father. He says, son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours, that you want to say the son of mine, this brother of yours, was dead. Now, he wasn't physically dead, but he was separated from us. Meaning he didn't have no covering. He didn't have no family. He didn't have no community. He was out there by himself. He was separated from us and he had no, he had no desire to be with us again. We lost our brother, your brother, my son. At one point he was dead, but now he's come back and he's alive. He's reconciled. He's connected. He was lost and now he is found. He was lost, but now he is found. Grace is greater than your X, Y, and Z. Let's pray. Father, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Holy Spirit, 
give your give the children of Yah faith to believe and receive the word this morning and Holy Spirit give the guest of Yah the ability to receive Jesus Christ this morning as their Lord and Savior for grace is greater than their X, Y, and Z and may they see Jesus high and exalted this morning that they may be drawn to him as the word said would happen Holy Spirit, give an increase to the seeds that will be sown and watered this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 29, 11 says something so beautiful. In the midst of the Israelites being in exile, Yahweh says this in Jeremiah 29, 11. He said, I know the plans that I have for you. Depending on what translation you read, it said that you may prosper, that you may be of well-being, have hope for you, that you will have an extending hope, an everlasting I'm, I'm hoping the best for you in the mix of your exile. And they were in exile because of their disobedience, because of what they did and who they were at that time. Yahweh still showed grace and mercy and said, hey, though it may not look promising right now, you might not be walking in what I've called you walking right now. You might not be everything I'm calling you to be right now. I still have plans for you. As we look in Luke chapter 15, we see these Pharisees and these scribes, which would be the, 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 the church folk or would be the, the saints in Scripture. And then we see these other people who are the, 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 uh, the tax collectors and the, and the sinners. We see these two in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of Yeshua. And he says, he's been preaching to them all this time. We know throughout, if you've read Luke or any of the synoptic God, we know Jesus has been all this time preaching. This ain't the first time Jesus has accepted, you know, sinners and taxes and people in his presence. He's always did it. That's why the Pharisees said, this man accepts, meaning that this is his character, this is what he do. He didn't just say, oh, he accepted them. He said, no, this man always accepts or always receives sinners and collected tax collectors. He always sins or receives the sinners. And in the midst of this, Jesus, so compassionate, so loving like he is, doesn't rebuke them, which he's done in the past, but he responds to them the same way we see the Father respond throughout all these parables and these stories with grace. There's three points of interpretation I want to walk us through this morning. These are three P's of interpretation that Yahweh gives me when I'm studying his word. One, he always has me look at, after I've done observation, interpretation, and application, he has me go back and look at what are the people that you see in the text? What are you learning about the people in the text? Whether they're believers or not, what are you learning about the people in the text? Two, the person. What do you know about the people in the text? What do you know about the person? What do you learn in the text about the person of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What does the text teach you about the person, the person of God in the text? But also three, the last one, what are you learning about the purpose, the purpose of God in the text? And today I just want to highlight that because in my studying, God has always told me like, you studying and reading and meditating my words should lead you to a place of worship. 
Study my word is not so you can be a dope philosopher, so you can be smart, so you can just go debate my word and be out there in the corner. No, 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 no. No, you study my word, you meditate on my word, you come to know my word so you can know me, so you can worship me. Discipleship is about, yes, being a philosopher to a point of Jesus, but also being a follower of Jesus because we worship the Almighty Yah. So what do we see here about the people in the text? Like I said, one, we learned that the people in the text, that the, 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 the tax collectors and the Pharisees are drawn to Jesus. We see here that the sinners are drawn to Jesus. They're not rebuking them. It's the people of God that's rebuking them, but they're drawn to the character of Jesus because right here the Pharisees and scribes don't have a problem with what Jesus is doing. They have a problem with who Jesus is. They say this man accepts, this man or this type of guy, this dude always, his character is known to accept saints, I mean accept sinners and eat with them and associate with them. So we learn here about the people in the text, the tax collectors and the sinners, that they are drawn to Jesus. Something about his walk, something about what he is saying, even though he is sharing the gospel, though he is still preaching Yah's word, it's something about the way he's doing it and engaging them is drawing them to him. He's attractive to the sinners. Is our, is our gospel that we share, does our life attract sinners? And I'm not saying because you act like them, that's different. I'm saying about how you love on them, how you share the gospel. Not just cross or hell, but you're broken, I'm broken, but Jesus. So we see that the tax collectors are drawn to him. But then we see the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, what, they're angry with him. They're complaining. They're murmuring because they don't like Jesus being who he is. They don't understand the type of ministry that Jesus is walking in, though he's the fullness of Yahweh, though he is Emmanuel, Yah in the flesh. They're drawn away and they're pushed away because, yes, his, his ministry, and he says he's a follower of Yahweh, and they say, yeah, does not look nothing like them. Because their ministry is known to push the sinners away. They don't get close where they sit and eat with them. They don't get close where they, where they, where they associate with them, where they hug them enough to where you start smelling like the unfortunate homeless man on the corner, woman on the corner. They wouldn't get that close. They'd say, hey, you got to pay this. Hey, yeah, give your sacrifices. But they didn't care for the people like Yeshua cared for the people. We also see in the text we're learning about there are some people who are lost. Throughout the parable and throughout the, these stories, we see there are lost people, which he's, he's wanting to symbolize when he's talking about the sheep and the coins. And the younger brother, he's showing that there's always people that exist who are lost, meaning that because that, God doesn't lose anything, he's perfect. He doesn't lose, lose people like we lose our chains. No, no, no. Lost means that they have strayed away from him. The same way if you have any children, you're going somewhere. You might not say it because you might feel like you're a bad parent if you, if you agree with me. But I say, I've had it where I've had my child. And I'm like, Jada, just, just hold my hand. You know, just stay close to me. You know, you're going to start to stay close to me. And then you go do one transaction, like briefly. Boom, you're like, where they go? Oh, Lord Jesus, where they? And they didn't walk around the store. They, you know, they left. That type of loss, right? Why? Because something has grabbed that child's attention and is drawing them away from safety, drawing them away from their parent, drawing them away from where they should be because something is grabbing their eyes, their attention. Even the Bible says, yo, Yahweh don't tempt you, but you are drawn away what? By your own lust. 
So there's lost, there are people who are lost who have been drawn away, meaning that God owns everything. God owns these lost, these saved, these found, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, these sinners. God owns it all. It's just that his creation has drifted away from him. You look at Genesis 3, that's what took place. They were with Yahweh. The serpent comes in, gives them a reason to drift away. He pulls on them with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and he drifts them away from the Father. And he's like, but he said we shouldn't. He's like, no, 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 no. It's, no, no, no. He's, he don't want you to be like him. And that was drawing them away from the Father, so we became lost through our disobedience. Oh, thank you, Lord. We get drawn away, and then staying in that place of drawn away, it produces disobedience. So we see the father here. We see people here who are lost and found, but we also see there's a younger brother and and an older brother. Now, the younger brother and the older brother parable is supposed to pretty much be a mirror of the Pharisees and the scribes and the sinners and the saints. So the older brother would be, which is the righteous one of the family, would symbolize the uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and then the younger brother would symbolize the, uh, the the tax collectors and the sinners. So we learn about the younger brother and the older brother, which is very, very important. And we don't talk about this enough when we talk about the prodigal son. We only talk about just the, the son that went off and came back. But there was rebellion in both of them. There was a blind rebellion, and then there was a bold rebellion. So the younger brother walked in a bold rebellion. The younger brother we would call, oh, that's the sinner. Yeah, he's immoral. He, done, he went out and scoring all his money. He didn't care about his father, his father's estate. He didn't care about whether the father lived or died. He just was all about him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was immoral. He left out, left his father, left whatever, whatever, whatever. He scrounged it. He slept with prostitutes. He did his thing. Yeah, I see it. So the younger brother represented the sinners, the immoral. But the older brother represents the church folk, the, the one who didn't leave. He got his half, he stayed, he stayed with the father, he was righteous, he was obedient, he stayed right. Now, he wasn't righteous, but he was obedient. He did all the right things. He had a blind rebellion because he didn't care about being with the father either. That's why when his father accepted the son when he came back, he didn't even come in the house. He kept distant. He said, no, no, I'm not going in there. I've been here all this time. I've been here all this time. He kept a distance from him. So he had a rebellion that was blind, which is more scarier than a rebellion that is bold. Because you know how it is. You've done stuff. You're like, yeah, I know I ain't supposed to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get it better. I'm going to get it better. That's because you know what you're doing. But imagine being in a place where you're blind and you're thinking because you're doing all the righteous things, quote unquote, all the right things in the, in the Christianese culture that you're okay. But also we see with these people in the text that there's pride, there's self-exaltation in the midst of the brothers, of both of them. Both brothers live for themselves and not their father. There was pride, there was self-exaltation. Same thing that can happen to us sometimes. God say, hey, do this. And we say, hey, we want to do this. And whenever God is not no longer Savior or Lord or judge over our life, there is self-exaltation. Meaning that he, he's not the reason why we're saved. We start saying it's our works why we're saved. So Jesus is no longer Savior. So then we start working to obtain. Now, I talk a lot about working because we have obtained, but I'm talking right now about salvation. So if, 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 if Yeshua is not our Savior, 
and we're not trusting in the personal work of Jesus Christ and in the gospel of Jesus, then we become our own Savior, and every day we're working to save ourselves. And then if he's not Lord, meaning that every decision you make, you go to him about, asking him to lead you in that decision of what it is, then he's not Lord over your life. You're the Lord, and he becomes your slave. And then last, if he's not judge in your life, that's self-exaltation. If he's not the one you go to and say, God, is this right? Like, you make the judgment call, and then I'll just, I'll just activate. I'll do what you, what you say. But if we say, no, 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 I feel, I think, I would ever, 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 then he's no longer judge. We become the judge. And that's pride and exaltation. And we see this in both brothers. The younger brother said, I think it's better that I get my estate right now and I wait till you die, no knock to you, but I want my money right now. He leaves out. The older brother said, no, I'm going to stay, but I'm going to make sure that you do what I need you to do because I, I have some type of entitlement because I've been here and because I've been at this church for 20 years and I've been at the, you know, my name on the back of the pew. I did all this, like, I have a certain entitlement, Yahweh, entitlement, so I think I should receive something as well, self-exaltation. But last but not least, what we learn about the people in this text, hear me clearly, that they all were wrong, but they all were loved. Same like us. We've all done something wrong. We all fall short, but we all are still loved by God. Following Jesus is not about perfection. It's about posture, posture of worship. He called you when he knew you was going to do what you're going to do today. He's still pulling on you when he knows what you're going to do 10 years from now. Because it's not about you. It's about his love for you. His love is unconditional. It's a hive. It's agape. I mean, it gives without you doing anything to receive it. So one of the greatest things we learn about the people in this text is that they are all wrong, which is like us. We're all wrong, but we are all loved. But what we're really just a blessing is, is as we go into, we come out of the people in the text and we go into the person of God in the text. What do we learn about the person of God in the text? One, we learn that he's a relentless pursuer. He's a relentless pursuer. Even though the Pharisees and the scribes were angry with him, he didn't rebuke him. He was hoping that through him sharing the stories and the parables that they would be drawn to him and they would repent. When we look at the story of the sheep, he left 99 sheep in the open field while they was gazing and they was eating and, and everything. He left the 99 ship to relentlessly pursue the one. The one sheep that strayed away. Because that's what happened. The sheep just don't make it decision. I'm just going to leave. No, it just, it, it somehow strays away. And then he go look for the stray. We look at the coins. The woman had 10 coins. You probably be like, man, you got 10 coins. Why are you looking for the one? Because that one coin was valuable. So she looked for the, the one coin. and said she shined a light and she searched carefully for the one coin till she found that she relentlessly pursued, which is them again showing how God's character is. He is a relentless pursuer. And then we look at the story, the parable of the two brothers. He pursues both of the brothers. He sees the brother coming afar off, the prodigal son, and he says he runs to him and he grabs him and he kisses him. 
And then the, also the rebellion, the, re, the, the blind rebellion older brother who stood outside the door and didn't want to come into the feast, he comes out and he pursues him. Our father's a relentless pursuer. You think you got here because you made all the crazy effort that Yahweh just sat there and you went 100% and got him and that's why you saved? He pursued you. That man and woman that kept getting on your nerves about scripture, that was Yahweh pursuing you. Every time you did something wrong and you had, man, I got out of that one, that was him pursuing you. His grace and his mercy covered you because he had a plan. Remember Jeremiah 29, I have a plan for your life for you to prosper, for you to be a well-being. I got a hope for you. I got big things for you, shorty. All that other stuff don't matter. He pursued you. When you wasn't thinking about him, he pursued you. You maybe took one or two steps, but he pursued you. He went majority of the way. And that's what he wanted us to see in this text, that our Father, Yahweh, is a relentless pursuer. Oh, my God, I can't stop. He went and shit. He sent Jesus Christ The Almighty God became like us. God became like you. Let me think about the stuff we do. A God became you. Forgive me, this is the first thing that came up. <laughs> A God that didn't have to use the bath- bathroom became like you. God is using the bathroom. I know that sounds funny, but think, I mean, try to think deep. Don't try to laugh. <laughs> but I'm saying, a God who's imperfect. The reason why you go to the bathroom because your body is imperfect and needs to get out waste. A God who's imperfect that don't have no waste in them became something that has waste in them so he can be connected to you and die for you. A God pursued you relentlessly that he didn't want you to die in your sins because you'll be forever connected and disconnected from him. He didn't want that to happen. So he became like you and died like you. A God who never have to feel pain became like you and felt your pain. Matter of fact, he felt a pain you never felt. A God was such a relentless pursuer Endured everything he endured, being betrayed, being beaten, being spit on, being humiliated, being dishonored, being uh, betrayed, being left lonely on the cross, suffocating with his hands nailed or his wrists, depending on your theology, what you believe, hands and this, whatever. He was hung up on the cross and then his feet with nails, back tore open, crown on his head and blood gushing down, suffocating on his own breath. He's a God in the flesh. Emmanuel, Yahweh with us, didn't have to, but he did. And then he became, for a moment, separated from the Father and died on the cross for your sins, the sins of everybody. An innocent person became like us and looked sinful for a moment to save us and to give, to give us righteousness and new life in him. So you won't have to stay forever separated from God. Our lives here is not about us being perfect. It's about knowledge and the powerful love of relentless pursuer, our creator who wants us that bad. 
He don't need us. He wants us. He's a relentless pursuer. We also learn that Father Yah is affectionate and compassionate. The story of the woman grabbing, the story of the sheep, I mean the shepherd grabbing the sheep and putting them on his shoulders and, and, and holding them and taking them back to the fold is an example of his affection and his compassion for us. How many times in your life you've been crushed so bad and you felt like God picked you up and covered you, whether it was through community, whether it's through your mother, father, whether it's through your grandmother, grandfather, whether it's just him in prayer. He picked you up and he said, baby girl, brother, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. It's also seen in the story of the prodigal son. He runs to his son. I know you left me. I know you was part of the church, and I know you didn't trust the church no more, but, it, but, but you realize your state and you're coming back. I'm going to pursue you, and I grab you because I'm excited, and I'm, I rejoice that you're at home with me. I love you, and he kisses him. Then he sees a blind older brother, and he pursues him and says, I love you. Please understand, I love you just the same. His grace is greater than our X, Y, and Z. He's affectionate and compassionate. Also, Father, y'all rejoices over his loss being found. Again, these stories and parables are to show us the character of Yah, the character of Yeshua. He rejoices over his loss being found. He tells everybody, yo, 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 I found my coin. Yeah, yeah, I found my sheep. I found my son. He came back home. He rejoices over us when we come more and more closer, a step closer to him. Or when we have repented. This is beautiful. Yahweh also is a restorer. He's a restorer of the repentant heart. We see the son. Son takes his estate. He spends it off, uh, all with prostitution and whatever he was doing. He comes back and says, I'm sorry, I repent. Like, I don't deserve to be your son. He didn't even care about hearing the rest of the story. He said, yeah, 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 let's celebrate. He here, but yeah, I'm just telling you that, but I was wrong. No, you're here, right? That's all that matters. Let's celebrate. He's a restore of the repentant heart. Repentance means that we turn from following our ways, following the world, trusting in us, trusting the world, trusting what we think, into following him. It's a change of mind. And it's not one time, it's continual. That's what the Bible talks about, the renewing of mind. And he restores him. He didn't restore his son. He didn't tell his son, yo, you're right. You go outside and you work for that other thing, you pay everything back. Because that's what the son was saying. He said, you know what, I don't deserve to be your son. He was like, he said, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to work in another place so I can pay back everything that I took from my father. Because for his father to give him the estate that he gave him, he had to shift things. So he had to shift things, sell some things. So that's what the brother was mad. Like, you had to do all that for him? And then you're excited he came back? But this is what God does. He says, bring the best robe was to let him know that I know, I know you did what you did, but I, man, you're still honored in this household. He gave him a ring to signify that you still, you still, you still though you wasted the wealth I gave you, there's still going to be wealth to come. And though you don't deserve it, I still put you in a place of authority in the household. You can look at that as your position in church. You can look at that position at your job, your position in your household. He said, even though you fall short, I'm going to restore you back to where I had you. Because it's not about your falling short, it's about where I need you to be at so I can work through you. And then he restores them and gives them sandals and say, no, 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 no. Yahweh said, in my house, repentance don't put you at a slave. Repentance don't make you a slave. No, you're no longer a slave. Like, I know that's the song, but you're no longer a slave. You're a son. He restored him back to his sonship, his position in the father's house. And that's what he's doing through us. When you get saved... 
When we give our life to the Lord Jesus, all he's doing is restoring you back to where you was. Originally. Originally, you was my creation. You was my son, meaning you bear my image, because that's what a son does. A child does. It bears the image of those they come from. And they continue on that image and that lineage. He said, I bring you back to what you were in the beginning. You are always my son. You are always mine. You have my image and you represent my kingdom rule. So when we give our life to Jesus, he restores us back. He don't come and say, yeah, yeah, because of that, you're just going to be a, you're just going to be this little slave that, that has the name Christian on it. No, no, no. He said, no, you come and be a son. And he restores us. Father Yah is a restore of those who repent. But y'all also, Father Yah is merciful when we are merciless. The scribes and the Pharisees are merciless. They didn't care. They didn't show any mercy, but Yahweh showed him mercy. The oldest son, he didn't care to show any mercy to his younger brother, but his father still showed him mercy. Our father is merciful when we are merciless. And last but not least, our father, Yah, is gracious. He shares what we don't deserve. If you study God's scriptures, you see that he says, man, like I've seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. Hey, Christ has that. You have that as well. Hey, Christ, has right, Christ is righteous. Now you are righteous. Grace. He looked at his son, the, the son that left, and he restored him back. He showed him grace. He gave him something he don't deserve, but he also gave to the, to the blind older brother what he didn't deserve. He said, you'll always have me. And he didn't rebuke him. He didn't push him away and say, stay outside. He was still trying to pursue him with grace to come in and fellowship with the rest of the people. Father Yah is a relentless pursuer. He's affectionate. He's compassionate. He rejoices over us being found. He rejoices over us. He's a restorer. He's merciful. He is gracious. But last but not least, what is the purpose of God in this text? So we already see who we are in the text, that we can sometimes be prideful. We can sometimes be self, uh, we can self-exalt ourselves sometimes. We can, we, can, we can be rebellious even if we don't know it, whether we're, we're following Jesus correctly or not. Like we can, be, we can be all these particular things, but then we also see that God, despite our, our ways, that he is still merciful. He's still gracious. He's still affectionate. He's still a relentless pursuer. What is he trying to teach us about this? That saints have more issues with the Father than they realize. The Pharisees and the older brother did not like the character of Jesus the Father. Jesus didn't fit the mold the Pharisees and the scribes expected. It didn't have the same move and the power they expected. His name, they didn't care for his name. They didn't care for his, his reputation. They just didn't like how he received the people that he received. They did not like Jesus. And sometimes I kept asking God, I was like, how does this relate to us? Because we don't outright say, man, we don't like sinners to be saved. We don't outright say, nah, we don't want to, we don't say it. But what, what can we do, God? What are the things that we may do that may show that we don't like sometimes how Jesus approaches the sinner? He said, it's your patience, your grace, your mercy, if you exalt time to spend with him. If you sacrifice time to be with him, how much do you turn your nose at him when they ask him for money, knock on your window? They ask for $5, you go buy $200 uh, Jordan ones. And now you say, well, I don't know what they're going to do with it. But he said, what you do with it, you ain't using it for the kingdom. Just little things like that. Also, he says that what we, he want to show us, I believe, here is that mission and evangelism, I know Dugan would love this, mission and evangelism is just as important as discipleship. 
We talk about discipleship all the time. Discipleship, I said, we got to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. And when it comes to mission, we're not barely sharing the gospel with anybody. And everything is all the stories and the parables was about pursuit, about the mission of God, about the pursuing of the law so they could be found. That is the mission. Amen. The Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I taught you, and I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. I've committed to you the ministry of reconciliation, so therefore through you, you beg everybody to come repent. Be reconciled to God. The mission. He's showing us mission and evangelism is just as important as discipleship. Matter of fact, if there's no mission and evangelism, how are you really discipling somebody fully? Because discipleship is really about discipling people to love the Lord God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and strength, and what? And to love their neighbor as themselves, which should lead to mission and evangelism. So he's showing us that mission and evangelism is just as important as discipleship. Also, he's teaching us that the sin is equally valuable to Yah as the saint. We are all wrong, but we are all loved. The sinner is just as valuable as the saint. I don't care if you don't believe Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior right now, you're still valuable to God. And he wants you to come to know him. So because you're valuable, we as believers should yield so he can continue to pursue you through us, through the community of God. We have to remember the sinner is equally valuable. We, we feel like we're okay because we spend a lot of time with believers and we don't spend really no time with unbelievers. When that's our mission. The sin is equally valuable. Jesus is pursuing the sinners right now. He pursues you. That's why you're here. Also, he's teaching us that rejoicing over repentance and reconciliation is expected of the saints. It should be expected that people see when we hear about somebody coming to the Lord that we should be celebrating. Not like, man, that's good to hear. Praise God. We do that, don't we? Depending on what we do at the time. For real, they get it like, man, that's dope. Hallelujah. Man, that's dope. Right? We just had this, but then when it, then when it comes to the final four, we're like, oh, they won. Oh, that's dope. Oh, snap. Oh, I knew the Lakers won't go. Praise God. But, um, uh, sorry, Laker fans. <laughs> See you next year or a couple of years, baby. But, um, but he rejoices over the repentance. In, rec- in reconciliation, he rejoices. He don't do it by himself. He rejoices with the church. How can we get more time to celebrate corporately what God is doing in the body of Christ? The lives are being changed in the midst of your city groups. Hey, hey, hey. Anybody being out stabbed means no terror is the testimony woman. Terror like, hey, I got a testimony. Then I sit back and I look and I, sometimes people are like, oh, we laugh. Like, yeah, okay, praise God, she give it. And then, but I'm like, but that should be all of us. I got a testimony, yo, I got a testimony, yo, I got a testimony, yo, I got t- That should drive the staff meeting. That should drive uh, our elder meeting. That should drive our city groups. That, man, we're saving souls. That God is saving souls through us and we're celebrating it. Amen? Let me keep going. The sin isn't just about breaking rules, but it's about being your own Savior, Lord, and judge, like I talked about earlier. You sinning is not about you breaking rules and saying, well, I don't look like that's a sin. It's about if God is the Lord, if he's the Savior, Lord, and judge of your life. Also, that the religious moral saint can be just as rebellious as the irreligious uh, moral, uh, immoral sinner. That the religious church-going, man, 
baptized with the holy fire, fire saint can be just as rebellious as a sinner. But again, we all are wrong, but we all are loved by God because God's grace is greater. But we also see that whenever we pursue joy, purpose, and fulfillment in anything outside of the Father, we are sinning as well. The two sons didn't have, didn't find pleasure in their father's presence alone, in his household alone. They sought more. That wasn't enough just to be in the presence with God. We sung some earlier, there's no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. Dude, you got songs like a thousand, what's it saying? Uh, you can, a thousand years on this earth don't compare to one moment in the presence of God. Do we feel that way? Amen. Come on, sister. Tell them. Amen. Tell them. Amen. <laughs> Tell us. Amen. <laughs> but last but not least, a great another reminder that grace is greater than X, Y, and Z. No matter where you're at this morning, God's grace is greater than that. He loves you. You're no better than me. I'm no better than you. We all need his grace and his mercy. And it's available. I invite you. Whether you're a believer and you're struggling, he still loves you. We all struggle. If you're a sinner or if you're someone that has yet to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, hey, there's grace for you. Just come to him. Remember verse 1, it said he receives and he eats. He welcomes. The same Greek word for that receive is, is a, it talks about he longs and he awaits for the sinners to come. He awaits for people who are distant from him to come close to him. This morning we're taking communion. And before we take communion, I don't know, I'm not God. I don't know who in this room is not a believer. I don't know. But I will pray, I'm hoping, that as we give a moment to prayer and for you to come down and give your life to Jesus, I want to enjoy communion with you this morning. Because communing with you this morning would be communing with the Father. I told y'all this morning, I just, we, it's all about Christ being exalted. He's affectionate. He pursues you. He loves you. He's gracious. I don't mind saying, I will tell you every single thing I've done and every single thing I've, matter of fact, I'll tell you every single thing that I am. Because we talk about our past sins, like we don't sin anymore. I can tell you everything I am now when I battle with, and I still love Jesus. Because my ways, my hands are not sufficient, but His grace is. It says this in John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son so that, what? So that everyone who believes in Him would not perish but have, ever, have eternal life, and eternal life is found in Jesus, found in Him. It's not about perfection. You are his. You created by God. He owns you. But through Jesus, he wants to have intimate relationship with you. He invites you. This morning, God is inviting you to come and be with him. Bring everything. Bring all your bags. Bring all your problems, all your whatever, whatever before him. Lay it down. I don't care how much it is. Just 
lay it before him. And he's just asking that you come and sit with him. And in that sitting, you allow him to, to, have, to speak to you and spend time with you, whether it's through his word, through community of God. And you allow him to engage your heart. Just, I promise, if you just give him a moment, give him a time, a season, to have his way with your heart and your mind, I promise you, you will never be the same. He wants you to come and he'll do the work. He didn't say he received sinners that became saved. No, no, he said he received them as who they are and what they're dealing with. Because I'm going to tell you, some people in here are going to struggle with porn until they see Jesus. Some of y'all are going to struggle with certain lusts for women and men until you see Jesus. Some of y'all are going to keep lying whether you think they're little or big until you see Jesus. Some of y'all are going to be prideful. Some of y'all are going to not consider the loss. Some of y'all are not going to love people, not forgiving it, till you see Jesus. You're going to keep doing certain sins. There's going to be something to keep popping up until you see Jesus. So you're never going to get it right. But there is a Savior who gave his life so that your sin debt that you accumulate, the sins that you accumulate that, 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 that makes you guilty to be forever separated from God, your actions, your heart posture, how the things you think about, what makes you guilty in the presence of God to be forever separated from God, Christ took all that down on the cross from it so you can have all, all access passed to him. It's like going to a concert, you know, hey, you know somebody left a pass at the door for you. VIP pass, all access. I used to love going to all access because you feel like you were somebody. They had the mother pass, you walking in with you, like, I got all access. You turn around, look at that. I'm going to talk to, yeah, I'm going to talk to, yeah. You know, you try to important, yes. All right, we got juice back here. Y'all got water? Oh, that's messed up. You know, now all access pass make you walk different. That'll preach. He wants to give you an all access pass to, man, everything he has for you, everything. He loves you. The reason why you're alive and well, because he loves you. So if anybody tells you he don't love you, he loves you. His grace is greater than your X, Y, and Z. I don't care what lie somebody told you. That's why I love that rebellious love. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no lie you won't tear down, wall you won't kick down, I'm messing the words, coming after me. Because we've all had people speak stuff of our lives that was not true. Things that people told us we cannot do. Do you know how many times people told me you're just going to be a rapper? That you should not sing. And those of you know I led worship here for whatever my brothers in the faith would literally tell me. Because I used to be a rapper before I sung. I, well, I did both of them. And they would literally tell me, nah, stick with rapping, man. You the singing thing, nah, ain't you? Stick with rapping. Men of God. Men of God would tell me, nah, you, nah, I can't see you being a preacher. Nah, I can't, nah. And I'd be like, yeah, you right. I probably can't either. You right, you right, you right. Things people spoke over my life. You probably ain't going to never be married. You probably ain't going to live past 25. You probably ain't going to be this. All these things. That what it was, it, was, it wasn't God pursuing me. That was the enemy trying to keep me back from God. 
God is ever saying, come. Come to me. Why did this? I don't care. Come. I don't care. My grace is greater. I love you. And you're going to keep doing it in my presence. Amen. But just keep, just repent. Just turn from following those things. All I'm asking that you turn from following them because that's not the right way anyway. Stop following that. Let me show you what it is. And just follow me. Live life with me. I welcome you. I accept you. Let's eat. Let's fellowship. So as we give a moment. Okay. So God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believe in him, believe in him, believe in him, not do perfect things before him, but believe in him, that he's the only way to God, shall be saved. From what? From his wrath. Saved from hell. Along with that, most importantly, saved from being forever distant from their father. He said, but those who don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he says at the end of John 3, 16, at the end of John chapter 3, he says at the end, he said, those who don't believe in Jesus, meaning that you believe that he is the truth and you begin to follow him, it's not just knowing that he's the Lord and said, but it's following him. I used to believe in Tupac that he was the stuff, that he was it. I used to mimic, mimic. I used to mimic when I walk out. I wasn't even on the west side. I'd be like, what up, Blue? Like, you ain't even on the west side. I don't get it. But I, I believe that he was the truth. So whatever he said, I was with. He was like, yo, forget these people. I'm like, you, you're right. Man, I don't like Biggie. I don't like him either no more. You know, I'm just, <laughs> for real, I didn't like Biggie because of Tupac. Biggie did nothing to me. You know what I mean? I just, but I believe he was the truth. So because I believed in him, I followed him. And whatever he did, I did. And whatever he liked, I liked. So I want to give a moment. Uh, if there's any elders or titles to women in the building, I believe it is. If y'all could come down and uh, if you could play something, Brother Evan. I want to give a moment of prayer. Then afterwards we're going to have a time of communion. But I want to give a time for those of you who don't, who, who, who have yet put their belief in Jesus Christ. Who's saying right now, like, yo, okay, I've, I, I see that Jesus is not expecting me to be perfect. That being a Christian, because we've made Christianity, we made the word Christian in church look like a bad thing. Because we don't talk about grace enough his love and how much he loves his creation. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.